the Gossip Stone podcast, where we cover the Ocarina of Time randomizer, focused primarily on racing the competitive scene, as well as various other related topics for the community as a whole. I'm Emo Soto. Welcome everyone back to the podcast for another episode here. Um, we have two guests this week. Very exciting. Uh, the first one, you may have heard of them before. Um, they've been on the podcast multiple times. Actually, an ex-host here. Welcome back to the podcast, Yoshi Kion. Thank you, thank you. Hello. And our second guest today, also pretty well-known in the community, I would say at this point. Um, I mean, what's to say about him, really? He's played a lot of Zelda randomizers in general, so even if you don't play Ocarina of Time, you've probably seen his name. Um, he's... Currently top 32 in the season four tournament, also season three top 32. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Mario. Hello, uh, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, not a problem. Um, so we're kind of just in the thick of it here. Um, season four for uh, <laughs> Ocarina of Time Randomizer. It's currently underway at technically as the time of, the, of this recording. Uh, there is a match being played right now, <laughs> the Saria's Object and Mr. Martin matchup, but uh, we won't cover that for obvious reasons uh, since it's happening at the same time. But what we're going to talk about today, uh, Season 4 qualifiers, kind of just general thoughts about that, as well as who's in the brackets, who's top 32? We know Mario's in it because I said it you know, just a minute ago, but um, you know, we're going to delve into that a little bit deeper here on uh, the episode today but aside from that we're also going to talk a little bit about the anniversary of the podcast it's been now one year of podcast episodes um really just uh kind of astounding that we're at this point that it's still going um but we'll uh we'll address that after all the important bits so to get right into it how are y'all uh liking season four i'm excited for the brackets I, I was personally not very keen on the settings, but I think they're going to be really good for 1v1s, and I'm much more a spectator than I am a player at this point, so I'm excited for some high-level, a lot of high-level matches coming up. Yeah, I'm super excited about brackets, obviously, because I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum. I'm actually in the tournament, so definitely ready to play some really good matches, watch some really good matches. And yeah, I think the settings season four are just great. <laughs> I don't think there's much that they could do to improve them really. Uh, I think they're just really good. And yeah, I'm ready for some hype action in brackets. 
Yeah, so <laughs> kind of two different perspectives on Season 4 already. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I, I really like Season 4 in general. Uh, it's done a lot of great things to kind of improve upon Season 3. Um, uh, you know, a lot of that's really been focused on the early game, I think, and trying to spice it up, trying to make it faster so you're not doing you know, the same 30 minutes or so of setup every time, more or less. Um, so really the thing that sticks out to me is the randomized spawns. I, I, I think it's like one of the most positive changes that we've had to the randomizer. Oh, for sure. Like, I, I, <laughs> again, ahead. that's one of, the, one of the two that I'm not a fan of. There were two big changes I didn't like, and that was one of them, mostly because I think it doesn't actually change that much. It, it kind of, it makes things feel different without actually being different, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, I could definitely see that. I think, I think, I personally love the random spawns. I think it's a great addition, but I can definitely see how you can uh, think that it only just looks to be different and doesn't actually play that different, because it doesn't really, um, but definitely Free Zelda, um, adds to that feeling of actually playing a lot different and not doing the same route for the first 30 minutes of every single seed. Yeah, Free Zelda, I think, was I, an incredible change. Absolutely just... I, I don't know anyone who's had a bad thing to say about it. It's like, why would you want to go to Castle every seed the first thing you do, right? And it unlocks all of your other songs and... It just adds more time to seeds that it's kind of unnecessary in a lot of ways um, that, that a lot of different options over time that we've kind of reduced down to what we have now. It's really shares a lot of char characteristics with that. So um, just like things like 10 big pose is now one, uh, seven chickens is still seven, but there's a lot of things that have been tinkered with over time. And I think, I think it's definitely one of those that'll, probably be with us for a while um unless there's some sort of like song category for randomizer or something like that but um yeah it really doesn't like it, it adds more than it takes away which is kind of crazy to think about right because it, it removes so much from the game in terms of you have to go to castle you have to get the egg turn it in wait time of day then it can get whatever songs there. Um, rather than just, you know, starting with it immediately, it takes off five, ten minutes. Easy. Right. Even assuming you start as a child in Kakiri Forest, well, suddenly you don't have to route specifically around your time of day. You've got that opening, like, warp song potentially. So then that can determine, like, a few different options there. It already gives you so many different options, even if the rest of the game is the same as it was in Season 3. Right, you have that kind of warp versus non-warp start. and The same thing that you have a medallion or a stone start, it's kind of a similar thing. And the fact that you can have both kind of intermingle, so you have four different kinds of openers. You have a warp stone, non-warp stone, and the same thing with medallions. So, yeah, I'm a pretty big fan of it. So I think the other biggest thing with Season 4... It's obviously been the lockage of Deku Tree, the locking of Deku Tree, rather. But yeah, just taking all these different Spear Zero checks out of the pools really kind of affected a lot in terms of routing, especially in the early game. You don't know where you're going to start necessarily. 
So it's one of the changes that I've definitely not liked with season four. Um, just it, it was kind of my number one strategy in season three. Just rush decking for it. <laughs> like it, it's just so consistent. Like why wouldn't you, right? Yeah, that's a, that's an option I'm kind of on the fence about too. Because on one hand, it does uh, force a lot of the rest of the game to actually be played. Where on the other hand, you're just locking someone out of a dungeon that has a six six sphere zero checks. So yeah, I'm, yeah, I've not been a big fan of that one. I remember testing that just after season three, I think, and I wasn't a fan of it then. And it's still kind of got the same problem where you get bottlenecked really early, so you just end up having this really thorough early game most of the time. And also, like, when you do get the Kakiri Sword, it's like, well, what's your best play? It's probably Deku Tree. It's usually going to be Deku Tree at that point. But the one thing that... I, I've had this conversation with a couple of people, and the one thing that did come up to me that I hadn't really thought about was the logic quirks that you see in the early game are so much more versatile now because you can't do that Deku Tree opener and you're getting things like, oh, you have just a scale in your sphere zero and you need to use that to follow the logic and everything. And it's, it's, there's a lot more diversity in the early game than you used to get where you'd just get like three items handed to you across sphere zero and you can use any and all of them to cover the world. Yeah. I mean, I kind of understand the the mindset of the season four organizers, though. At the same time, you did a huge change with Free Zelda already, trying to break up the early game. The last thing you want is for every single racer and every qualifier and every bracket matches to rush Deku Tree the very first thing they do. <laughs> and if that turns out to be the like S tier play, that's what they're gonna do. And mm. they really wanted to, I think, just change, <laughs> make you know, force people to do different plays rather than just go for that because it's the safe and easy thing to do. And I, I think they made a, a pretty good call in just locking it, but it'd also be kind of interesting to see what would actually happen in a racing environment if you had open Deku, but it was random spawn and it was random age. Um, I'm not sure if you can really balance Deku in a way, which sounds weird, but... It's... One of the things that's come up a lot is like, there's always going to be a best play. Right now, the best play is you do Sphere Zero until you get like, usually explosives, and then you go to DC. Like, Dodongo's Cavern is usually going to be your best play at this point. Because it's available early, it's a lot of checks that are fairly quick to get. So where Deku Tree was the go-to play before, now Dodongo's Cavern is. You're always going to have a best play, it's just a question of how it interacts with everything else around it. And that's mm -hmm. probably just different depending on who you ask. Everyone's going to have different preferences on that. I've definitely noticed that there's a lot less talk in the community about B1 skip, where before when Deku was open all the time, almost, I don't know, every week, but every other week, I feel like there was at least one question in the Discord or Twitch chat or, or wherever. And it's like, how do you do B1 skip? How do you expect new runners to learn B1 <laughs> skip? And just like, it's, it's very B1-centric kind of talking points. You don't really see those anymore because you get Slingshot at some point, probably before that, before you even go there, even if Deku's a stone. You probably get Bomb Bag, so if you learn Ground Jumps, you don't even have to learn B1 skip all the time. So 
which is kind of an interesting thing that I've noticed. I don't know if <laughs> if you two have noticed that too, but uh, like there's there's definitely a lot as well. Like on the one hand, yeah, I think it's actually quite good that Deku Tree is locked because, funnily enough, that one I didn't see as much, but I did have somebody specifically message me with a different settings having played season four as their starting point and they were like what am i meant to do in the deku tree because they were so used to having a sword and had forgotten that sticks are also a weapon oh, and, no. like, <laughs> and it's it kind of helps in that regard weirdly yeah yeah it definitely makes it a lot more beginner friendly like you have to have the sword there's no there's no event in which you're in deku and you don't have sword in season four which is I think a mm -hmm. good thing, but at the same time, for a lot of the reasons we've said already, I think it's kind of like a medium option right now. I don't know if it's good or bad necessarily, it's just different still. And there have been a lot of seeds being played of Season 4 for the past few months, and the fact that we don't know, or I don't know the answer at least, of like, is it balanced? Is it too strong? Is it too weak? Do you always rush it? I don't know. <laughs> like it's and. You know, speaking of that, I, I think the organization team really did a, a fabulous job on making some settings that weren't be weren't able to be metagamed immediately or solved in any way, you know, more or less mm -hmm. in a couple months. So, I don't know. Uh, I think they're good, but I think there could be some improvements at the same time, for sure. Yeah, I think one of the things that I'll come back to a lot with Season 4 settings is I'm not a fan of this, but I can understand why other players would be. And I think a lot of it comes down to like how much you value the logic and the decision-making versus the execution side. I think Season 4 on the whole is very, very good for execution-driven players and far, far worse for logic and routing-driven players. And that's one of the things that like if you're doing most of your sphere zero that that can take a pretty long time that is going to favor those execution players whereas if you get a lot of items in the early game and then like half the places are open to you that decision making factors in a little bit more than it might if it's kind of closed off yeah i'm not sure i really agree fully on the fact that season four is mainly favored towards those who are better at execution. I think definitely decision making is a very useful skill, especially when you have random spawn points and uh, most of the time you're going to have to manage your time of day a lot differently. And there's just a bunch of other factors that you're used to not really dealing with in Season 3 that kind of show up in Season 4 and you have to route around and you, you kind of have to think about while you're playing the, through the seed. That makes sense. I, think, I mean, I. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I think part of it is something that will come out a bit more in bracket. Because the other exception here is if you think the format is execution based, which, again, you know, your mileage may vary on that one. But if people are going in going, this is an execution driven format and I'm not a top execution player, I need to start taking risks. And so you're seeing people going to like, uh, water temple earlier or like going into Gerudo training grounds without a bow or strength too which in season three both of those would be like unthinkable plays pretty much 
but they're coming up now because people are taking those risks to kind of mitigate the fact that they might have a disadvantage on the execution front or they know that their their early game was slower so they have to do something big I mean, I've definitely seen that. I've seen people go river before adult cacks, adult start. I've seen, like, yeah, all sorts of wild stuff. Some stuff that does work and some stuff that doesn't. Um, kind of agree with that. But, I don't know, I think, to me at least, it's much more about area routing now than dungeons specifically. I think Season 3 really was just like a a dungeon simulator uh, a <laughs> large portion of the time once you get past your opener once you get past your opening adult stuff it's like uh the hour mark somewhere under that probably and you're going to your second dungeon okay now you're going to your next dungeon because you found a progression item okay uh that one was barren okay so what do you have left gtg okay let's go there like it was just like very much on the rails i think and a lot of the time if you knew you were behind there wasn't a lot of they could really do to get ahead um in season three at least that's what it seemed to me at the very end of it whereas season four it's like i don't know you could probably make time up in a lot of different places but especially in the in the late game just the the hiking (laughs) (laughs) and all the people that are complaining about hiking and all that just yeah on the like random age random spawn or whatever like that has to have been Probably my biggest gripe with the settings overall. Keeping in mind, probably it's not the setting I'm even least fond of, but seeds where you didn't get prelude were the worst. They feel so terrible to play because you spend like 20 to 30 minutes in a seed just walking back and forth to Temple of Time and it just felt terrible. But thankfully those seeds are incredibly rare. But, like, when they come up, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it depends on where your spawn point is, too. It's right. Like, if it's back of Lake or back of Lon Lon, you're pretty fucked. You're going to have to do a lot more walking than you normally would. But if you start with a, a warp song, even if it's not Prelude, if it's, like, Nocturne, if it's, like, something else that leads to another song and your adult, it's, it's not the worst ever. And it's a lot of situations in which you can kind of bail yourself out of just walking to to market and what if it's night and you miss the bridge like um so uh, yeah (laughs) it's a lot of it's a lot of walking though like it's significantly more than season three even if like stuff lines up perfectly it's just a lot of overworld and like kind of like you said uh the the percentage of like checks that the percentage of it like being required or having an item is super high across the board and it's pretty even so i think for me that's yeah uh someone that i'm friends with um alex did a bunch of stats analysis on season four it was kind of skewed because you can't look at it entirely as like these are the items you have to get because way of the hero picks up things that you can skip and major items picks up some useless things so we kind of looked at both but almost every location in the game came out at around 30 percent like there were a lot of things like valley lake opening 
30% to be required. Child Goron City, 30% to be required. I think Water Temple was like 25% to be required. The only exception wow. to that was Strength 3 was like 68% required. Oh my. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, with that, it's like you you have options. Like, you can make a play and it's it's a reasonable play. The biggest thing is efficiency. The biggest thing is being efficient with what you do, not what you're doing. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there anything else about Season 4, just generally, that uh, we want to touch upon before we get into the top 32 here? Ganna's Castle? Ooh. Yeah, that's, a, that's a controversial one, I think. Uh, just kind of based off of... There was a poll recently in the, the main Discord of thing like thoughts about Season 4 settings and what you would change and would you prefer this or that kind of a thing. Uh, I think Chimpan Reeve uh, posted that a couple days ago at least, but um, regardless, I filled it out, and a lot of other people did, and at least for the weeklies this weekend, because they're not going to be qualifiers for the first time in a couple months. It's been a minute, but uh, so they won't be season four settings, but they'll be kind of based off of them. In a way, the only change that they're making right now is to see how people react to Gant's Castle specifically. So they're going to change it from two medallions to four, I think, for Sunday and Saturday uh, this week. So uh, I think there's been some pushback. There was some pushback before the settings were even finalized, too, though. Uh, there's a lot of discussion like a, a lot, a lot of discussion, uh, trying to figure out everything and lots of debate and arguing and all that. But um, we settled on two medallions for, for Ganon's Castle as opposed to six before. So it feels like in a lot of ways, it's just a new area of the game that we just downloaded. Like we have access to, it's like sick. Like all these items that actually could be here instead of just, oh, I found hammer after I got six meds. And it told me to go to bomb the well for light arrows. Great. I don't have songstorms or whatever, you know. So um, instead, it's like, okay, I can go in there. Once I have two meds, I can do forest. I can do water uh, trials, sometimes shadow, sometimes spirit at the, the very first trip. But overall, you need a lot of items to be able to clear everything out of there, including light trial. You need strength three, uh, long shot for some of it. But I don't know. I, for me, at least, I definitely like it as an area. I wish it were, I don't know, paid attention to in, in other settings, maybe. But overall, I think it's been a great addition. The only like kind of weird thing about it is Strength 3 and Light Trial and having some kind of troll stuff happen there. I mean, Mario, you were mentioning uh, a seed that you did last night, right? Or today, even? Oh yeah, that was that was today. <laughs> yeah, what happened to that one? Yeah, today you had to. This was a season four seed of one v one, where you needed fifty out of logically fifty one available sculptulas to get strength three, to get your first hookshot in light trial. So, <laughs> uh, that's definitely an edge case of where light trial is um, a dream breaker. <laughs> Uh, it just turned the seed to shit, basically. But uh, overall, I think I I really like Ganon's Castle as an available option. Got it. We got the DLC. Um, 
I like it as two medallions. It serves as like a another kind of bottom of the well or GTG-esque dungeon is in the case of do I want to go there right now or do I want to go there later when I can get more of the checks there and if I go there now I'm gonna be isolating something like shadow trial second chest so when am I gonna ever be going back there so it's just another option that you have and I kind of like that I'm I'm on the two medallion boat I think the GTG comparison is really really good there like I generally think of Ganons as like GTG on steroids kind of it's like you get a couple of checks that are fairly early. You know, you've got your hookshot and bombs when you go to GTG, Song of Time. You can do most of it. But you're still leaving behind, like, bow and strength two stuff. And then it's like, do I want to wait until I get strength two or go back? But it's, like, kind of condensed. With Ganons, it's, like, extremes. With two medallions, it's half of it is available ridiculously early. And half of it is strength three or long shot locked or whatever. And it's kind of, like, that extreme push there uh the thing that i will say is i do like the higher medallion counts less for how it plays with ganon's castle and more for how it plays with the rest of the logic i've been doing a couple of seeds recently that have had a lot of different settings but one of them has been for medallion bridge and we've had cases of like strength two is way of the hero so that you can beat spirit we have no idea when strength three is but spirit had to be your fourth medallion to logically get into ganon's the other two were locked behind Ganons. And that's just never going to happen with two medallions. Oh yeah, half the time you have two medallions in like 10 minutes with a free in Dodongo's Cavern. Mm. So yeah, that's definitely an interesting change for medallions for sure. Pretty similar to GTG. I think two things separated the most from it. Uh, one, it doesn't have keys, so that's great uh, in terms of checks per minute actual items that you're getting in Ganon's versus uh, what if you get six keys in the first six checks in GTG and you have no other items to get to the rest of the things. It's like, fuck. <laughs> like, I made all <laughs> my way out here to GTG and there's nothing. And I have to come back because I know it's way there or whatever. Or, or maybe it's not, you know. And the second thing is that it's a lot closer to the rest of the checks in general so it should be theoretically easier to get there than gtg um i've only had a spawn in valley once and it was in the tent which is pretty cool so I, obviously i went to gtg way early and there were items in there of course but um just in general though your average seed it's gonna be like a couple minutes faster to get there and so it's it's kind of like if you put ice cavern where Ganon's castle is and you gave it like twice the number of checks it's like eh, it's pretty good <laughs> like I'd, I'd probably go there <laughs> so i think it's been a good area for sure to kind of break up the monotony monotony sometimes of routing it's like okay dc forest deku fire okay well, this seed is gonna be deku dc forest fire okay well this seed is gonna be you know you can kind of throw in Ganons after the second dungeon sometimes, or after the first dungeon, you can start with a medallion. So overall, I, I definitely like it, but kind of like I said before, I think there's season four settings that can be tweaked very slightly to make it slightly better. Um, mm -hmm. But I do like the general idea of adding it in. I'll say then, since we're all kind of in favor of it, the one big criticism I have heard with it has been like, 
it never feels like a good play. You're either going there early and you're like, oh great, I'm going to have to come back later when I get strength three and I'm like, what if I find nothing now? Or you're going there really late and you're panicking because it's, oh, I waited until I got strength three and now I'm going here and I could have got all of these checks like an hour ago. And there's never a situation where it feels good to do unless you get strength three incredibly early, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. And it, it, it's difficult too, because if you've played a lot of season three or other settings in, in randomizer, it can feel really weird routing in Ganon sometimes because like you said, it could be, it has five items or it has zero items, or you might not have all the items to go there or, you know, you can go there so early in the seed now that anyone that goes there and it pays off and you just ignore it entirely, just it's going to be not even close <laughs> in terms of a race. So um, that's kind of at play too. And kind of bigger point with season four, for me at least, my like probably the thing I hate the most about it right now is that you have so many options available to you in the mid game specifically, you know, late mid game. Uh, some seeds, it's like, okay, you get 12 items in the first hour, and you have all of your way the heroes fulfilled, and uh, you have foolishes, whatever, but okay, now I have GTG, Ice, Ganons, and Spirit unlocked, and two of them are stones. Like, uh, which one do you go to? <laughs> it's kind yeah, of difficult I guess sometimes. To kind of follow on from that as well, like, I think the hints play a big part in that as well. In Season 3, I feel like the hints were already really weak. People were skipping both Deku Tree hints because the amount of time it took to get them wasn't worth what they told you. And then hints got weaker. Now you've got two locked behind Kakiri Sword that you would have got normally. All of your grottos no longer have hints. Like, the hints themselves generally feel worse because it was the strongest hints that were taken out. I feel like that plays into it as well. It's like you've got so many more options and so much less direction. Yeah, like it's like the vagueness of the heads, right? It's not necessarily the strength. I think it's the specificity. So uh, I, I really enjoyed the uh, DDR um, hints that I played with uh, like last week, I think, Saturday. I just joined a race randomly. Um, and I had a good time with them. They were, they were sick. The, the biggest difference with them is they have this like weird uh kind of like halfway way to hero where it's like it'll tell you whether an item is in one of these areas but it'll be a very specific item it'll be like bow bomb bag strength or something else i forget exactly what but it, it's kind of like a special hint and there's like, only a couple of them and i <laughs> found that to play really well actually and instead of getting like four or five very vague way to heroes at least they can't really point to songs that often anymore from what i've seen um you know zeal's not way the hero hinted anymore thank god like light arrows are also not way the hero hinted on season four settings which it's one of the biggest biggest improvements for hints that we've had in a long time but yeah i, I think it's really just like okay lon lon's way the hero okay uh well, I found, uh, let's say, Requiem there. Okay, that's, I guess, okay, but I was going to go there anyway, right? So what if you get a Ganon's Way of the Hero or a GTG Way of the Hero? That's when it gets a little bit more difficult, and it's like, okay, when do you go there? Do you rush it? Do you go there when you have three or four items, or 
or, or what have you. Whereas if you have more specific hints, things that point not exactly like bomb bag is in chest number 69420. Like, no, 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 not that. But just like a little bit, you need just a, a little bit more to give, right? Just, okay, so the bow is in this direction, let's say, or, or something like that. I feel like that's what it needs right now. Yeah, I think those kind of opportunity hints that the DDR rule set's playing with right now, I think they honestly work really well. But um, if they were to be implemented in like the traditional seasons, then I think they would need to modify like the item list, possibly modify like how many, and we just got to go through all that process again, changing the hints and seeing what works, what doesn't work, all the stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It's more just like a general idea that I'm a pretty big fan of, and the one time that I played with them seemed to to gel pretty well. Just like yeah, specifics and, and all that I think would get figured out. But um, I will yeah, say, just... like with the weeklies, with having stuff tested at the moment, like now they're doing four medallions this weekend, and you know something else like next weeklies, like shifting things there. I do think that if the hints at any point shift back to how they were in season three, which I think is the scrubs distribution now on the site, um, having a version of that where ZL can't be hinted is a necessity. That again was one of the best changes. And it's just like, a, it's such a small, subtle change, but it's a really important one because let me tell you, having gone back to having ZL being hinted way of a hero, it feels terrible every single time. Yeah, because half the seeds, you're going to have away the hero, and it's just going to be for ZL, right? <laughs> Cack way of the hero, got ZL there. What a surprise. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's it's limiting your design space in terms of what you want hints to accomplish, too. Like, you you have four pegs that you're trying to fit these things into, and one's taken up by ZL, so you really only have three. And <laughs> if light arrows are also hinted, too, now you have two, <laughs> if, if there's nothing else in that area, so... Makes right, that was one of the big criticisms I heard with the Foolish hints was, oh, if you get something like Foolish GTG, that's really powerful. That can di like dictate a race if one person gets that hint and the other one doesn't. But then the flip side to that is you could get Foolish Wasteland or Outside Ganon's Castle. And I feel like that like ZL was like the Way of the Hero equivalent there. If you get Way of the Hero Water Temple great but if you got way of the hero pointing to your zelda's lullaby who cares so taking that out kind of lowers that variance on hints a little bit and i think that's a good direction to go in do you think a good next step would be to take out some of these like kind of useless hints too so like kind of like you were saying like haunted wasteland castle now like should they just not be even hinted anymore um i would probably say yeah I, I think removing those from Foolish, but adding them as sometimes hints would be good. Um, obviously, the Wasteland already is, but the Castle Fairy and Outside Ganon's Castle aren't. I think if you had those as sometimes hints in the tournament distributions or whatever, I think that could work out really well. And then your Foolish hints, you know roughly how strong they're going to be. 
That's another thing too. The sometimes since those need an overhaul. It's been years since <laughs> I think a lot of attention has been brought. There to was them. some. There was some added. Uh, I want to say early to middle of last year, but it was like. I think one was removed and like four or five were added. And it was like chickens gained a sometimes hint at that point and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But there's definitely some that don't, that should just not be in there. Like there are definitely some that should not be in there and some definitely some that really, really should. Yeah, I think there are way too many sometimes hints to go off of at this point. There's like, what, 30? And you only get five in the current distribution so mm-hmm. yeah it's just the variance like like we were saying i think it's like one of the the aspects that i've heard a lot of complaining about is like the the range of variance is much higher on these settings and it's something that could be curtailed a little bit more and with hints like what if you you have 15 sometimes hints instead it's only the really important ones and they're all pretty much the same power level instead of uh i found the chickens sometimes after i did chickens and um the other one is floor master and shadow great cool uh pierre hammer chest like i think the big thing i always see with sometimes hints is the songs because so much of the routing is based around getting your songs as early as you can that by the time you get a oh Burning Kakariko will teach you Saria's song. You're like, great, I figured that out because I've got two songs left, Burning Kak and OOT. Like, by the time you get the hints, you've usually either got the song already or figured out roughly what's there. So those ones always end up feeling really bad. Yeah, I think sometimes they can be good to narrow down, like Ocarina of Time, if you haven't found that hint yet, or Burning Kak. But most of the time, it's just like, uh, and sometimes you get multiple, sometimes song hints in a seed, and you like, more than half of your sometimes hints are just gone now, useless pretty much. Yeah, especially if they like overlap with Foolish, that's always kind of frustrating too. It's like, oh, Skullkid's dead, and Lostwood's Foolish, cool. <laughs> One less hint to do now. Yeah, I th- the consistency, I think, is the, is the big thing, and kind of brings us to a, like a larger point, and the community having just everyone kind of agreeing to like, what does competitive Ocarina of Time randomizer even mean? Like, what is like kind of the things that we're kind of driving towards? What do we want to really like? Maybe not accomplish is not the right word, but. Like what? What do we as competitive racers want in like the experience of racing? Right, if that makes sense. And I think that's one of those things that will change, no matter like who everyone you ask will have a different answer to that. Mm-hmm. Um, like personally, one of my biggest issues with season three was that everything felt like it was autopilot. There was no decision making because all your decisions were planned out in advance. You knew everything in order pretty much one of my issues with season four is that it's gone too far the other direction where if none of the decisions are better than any other like there is no statistically best play then it's just a guessing game you're not making a decision you're flipping a coin yeah i've seen and a so, lot of casino memes for season right four. yeah the, the, the joining the casino yeah all of that <laughs> um so like somewhere between the two is good where it's like 
yes, you have some direction to go on. Yes, there are better and weaker plays, but it's not to such an extreme that, like, I to so one that comes to mind very specifically to me is Mario. I think this is a qualifier you won actually, where you did Water Temple and hadn't done Bottom of the Well, and you full cleared Water. Oh yeah. And to a lot of people, like in season three, that was unthinkable. If you were if you were going deep into water and you had bottom of the well open, that was just a straight up mistake in season three. But the flip side to that is like if you're going into water temple with bottom of the well open and it's just like they're both or like say you've got three different options and they're all equally likely, at that point it's just like that's too much variance. It's like it needs to be somewhere in between where there's like reasonable risks. But they're they're reasonable. They're not like so extreme that it's ridiculous. I'm gonna strap myself to a rocket and we're going to Jupiter. Woo! Like no, <laughs> that, no, I, no! Don't do that. He won! <laughs> oh my god! Whoa! Like just like Honestly, it was the first season four like test race. <laughs> where, <laughs> it was Felix, right? Who went. Yeah. I'm just going to have fun with this. I'm not taking it seriously. And rushed AD for Sunsong, and it was required. <laughs> and, like, crushed that seed. Destroyed everyone in that seed. It's that kind of gamble. Like, if somebody wins off something like that, it feels terrible for everyone. Cola get, landing the one in 32 in that one qual. Like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> that was insane to watch. He won by, like, 30 minutes or something. It was crazy. Like, actually just crazy. And when someone wins with something like that, though, it feels really, really bad for, like, pretty much everyone else. (laughs) Yeah, the rest of the day, for sure. (laughs) Like, I was, (laughs) I was very confused in both cases. I was like, what even happened here? God, like, and in Cola's case, I, like, I guessed the right thing because it was Cola and, you know, it's known in the community that he does that. He's definitely won a seed before doing that. I know that for a fact. So the like, fact that, that it happened kind of meta gaming is right. Yeah, I mean, it sucks for Cola because it came after the eight races, of course, and then he mm-hmm. pulls off that insane win. It's like, damn, like, would have been insane for points, but oh well. We had a break around uh, Christmas time. For, for qualifiers, what what did you uh, think of that? It was like a um, two week or so break, I think, in quals. Yeah, I think I think it was good. Uh, I I don't think I'm one to speak since I did all eight of my qualifiers before Christmas break started. So, uh, I had those out and just done for, so I could just relax. But um, for people who didn't finish all their qualifiers, I think it's a I, th- I think it was a good time to just take a break, you know, get your mind out of it a little bit, refresh, come back refreshed, and I th- I think it was good for a lot of people's mental health, but I can't speak for anyone else, so. I think, funnily enough, the thing that I saw the most from the people that I've spoken to was they did the complete opposite. They took that break as a time to go back, look at the previous results, try and figure out a metagame, and, like, basically... They took that as an opportunity not to play, but to like research and study the meta more. It's like, okay, we don't have to race right now, so we can go in depth on the analysis. 
<laughs> I think that's a definitely valid approach to it too. If you're really, really competitive and want to get in, like if you're one of the people and around the 40th, 30th place mark, and you have a couple of races left that you can edge your way in, I think that is a um, justifiable way to spend your break. I like. I'm a big fan of taking breaks anyway. Um, you know, before season four started, I took a break from OOTR for like three to four months. And even though I'm less keen on these settings than the other ones I was playing before, I had more fun with season four than I'd had for like a year before that playing OOT. And part of that was taking that break and just kind of cooling off and not having it be this constant thing going on. So I think a break can be really good just to give people a chance to step back, you know, kind of cool off during quals, think about whether they want to do the rest and if they do when they want to do the rest. But I don't know. I don't know if it should be... I wouldn't... I would be surprised if it's a thing that happens in any of the other tournaments. I don't think it should, but I think there's at least some good in there with it. Yeah, I definitely think that this break was just a side effect of doing it over the holidays. I don't think it would be enforced in any other kind of competitive scene and i wouldn't i wouldn't expect to see it yeah i think it'd be okay though um even if it was just like a week or something break in between but i think with the number of qualifiers like 16's a lot no matter who you are i mean it's 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 a lot of races to keep track of um so i I don't know. For a lot of reasons, I think just like a even just a small weekly break like that would be really good. But it depends on the number of qualifiers. I think if it's something like eight qualifiers for a smaller tournament, then of course not. But um, something of this size, though, it doesn't happen all too often. It's at least a couple months between each season. Uh, you know, half a year to a year at this point. Um, so I think for a lot of those reasons, it makes sense. But yeah, I think it really is a context dependent. It depends on if people even want it. It depends on how long is the, the season for qualifying. If it's more than a month, then you might want to consider it. But I don't know. It was definitely a novel thing. I don't know if we'll see it again, but it was definitely cool that it happened. Yeah, I kind of think of it the same way as like... I think it was the Random Settings League that started the idea of having breaks during the matches. And I think that's just a really good idea in general. And it kind of started that conversation. I think this is like the same sort of thing. It's maybe it shouldn't happen every single time, but putting the conversation out there so people are considering, should we have a break during a tournament, is already a start. Like that's already a good step. Yeah, I think for season five, um, the organizers definitely... In my opinion, and I think Mario would agree with me, the breaks are very good, even if it's for a standard seed. I think even like a five-minute break after like the two-hour mark makes a world mm -hmm. of difference. It really mm -hmm. does. Yeah, when you're just sitting down in like a six-hour hall of a seed in random settings, it just it makes all the difference in the world when you can at least get up for five minutes and not stare at your screen Be a and human. go to the bathroom or something <laughs> yeah yeah for sure i mean it don't knock until you try that's that's all i'm saying 
Yeah, don't don't be like Emo who plays a six and a half hour uh, tournament match with no breaks. <laughs> <sighs> that did happen. That did happen. It was six hours forty minutes, but you know, <laughs> it's ten minutes really worth arguing. Same difference. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to be fair, my opponent was on the East Coast, so I really didn't want to make them like, you know. 15, 20 minutes later than it was already. Um, so for them, for them, they. I finished at like 3 a.m. for them or something stupid, like because I I, start, I can only start when I get home from work. So uh, I just wanted to start an hour after I get home from work and eat something and you know mentally prepare for it. And yeah, that was a that was a disaster. So in that case, yeah, I definitely wish I would have said, and I think I said that a couple times at least, like during the race, like, fuck, man, why didn't I just say like five minutes every two hours or no race? Like I should have just said that, like, ah, <laughs> oh, it like just didn't occur to me or something. So on to the, the real exciting part, the top 32 for season four. It's happened. Ooh. We're there. Mm. Yeah, after months <laughs> of races. Finally. We're finally here to the promised land. Now, quick note here. Of the people that had uh, the top 32 places, um, there were three opt-outs. So it actually extended to the top 35, technically. Um, they just didn't want to play with the uh, in the tournament, so uh, that includes number two solely, number twenty-two no pawns, number thirty-four error, zero x two two six. Um, so just keep that in mind. But I guess I'll just list them off here. At least let's start with the top eight first of all. In first place, what the hell's happened? Number two, PKR. Number three, Mr. Mario. Four, Dylan Meeble. Five, Cariosa. Six, Marco. Seven, Bonnaroo. Eight, Kezoboro. What do we think about this top eight? Um, I think this was very unexpected, to say the least. Um, I think the most unexpected of all is seeing Marco and Bono at sixth and seventh. Uh, I don't think anyone could have expected that. Um, no more than me and PKR making second and third. Um, but, yeah. It's interesting because there's a bunch of people in here who have been, you know, big names for tournament after tournament. Obviously, you know, you mentioned Marco and Bono have got what the hell's in first. Like, they were always going to be in that mix. But people like... You know, Cariosa, who made an incredible run through season three, at a point where, well, he was a fairly low seed in season three. Um, you know, Keizo, who's been one of those players who's always made the bracket, but never quite gone that far in the brackets. Um, and then you've got someone like PKR, who, you know, as far as I knew, was not going to take the tournament very seriously, just going to play a couple of quals and see how it goes, and 
ended up as second seed. <laughs> what it's is just that? unreal. Like it's an interesting mix. It's a cool mix. For, for PKR specifically too, their first qualifier for season four was first place. <laughs> just mm. I win. Oh, uh Guess cool. I'll keep playing. <laughs> <laughs> like, at that point, you have to. I feel like you're not gonna just not do any more races or not try to go for it. This is crazy. Like, of course you go for it, but uh, I think about all the others here in the top eight. Um, Dylan Mebel, definitely, I think, still an underrated player in a lot of people's eyes. That dude's a shark. He's just a shark, dude. <laughs> I personally, I put Dylan and you, Mario, around the same sort of level where you're both like incredibly good, incredibly well-known players. And this is like, I mean, I guess for you, it was the RSL stuff. And for Dylan, it was the SGL. But it's like that breakout tournament kind of thing, like that step up almost. And I mean, finishing above marco bono like sponge there's some big names as you go down this list that you've all uh you've both beaten there so yeah i think the random settings league definitely helped me to push into the top 10 um i definitely wasn't expecting it. i was expecting to maybe not even make top 32 but um i'm glad to be here so <laughs> kind of like last season i think you were somewhere around the 27th i think seed yeah i think it was 28th yeah, Bono Marco. That's probably the biggest. <laughs> I don't know if you could even say it's an upset at this point, but going into season four, end of season three, uh, we had a very, very entertaining finals between Bono and Marco. Bono did come ahead in those, but only by a couple, a few seconds, <laughs> you know. Season uh, three, their more. two races were twenty-one seconds between the two of them, which is. Yeah. Unreal. Insane. <laughs> it, you've never had cl- races that close in a tournament setting. Those are the the closest finishes we've had ever in a tournament. Yeah, that was something else. <laughs> right. I do so... think a lot of it will change in 1v1s anyway. Um, I think the seeding in this position matters more for the matchups than it does for the... Yeah, It's not like, oh, this person is the 10th seed, 11th seed, whatever number... You know, this person's like top 10 and this person's bottom 10. So the top 10 is a clear favorite. There's a lot of a lot of little things and a lot of metagaming, I think, that will happen with this. I think 1v1s for this format will be very different to qualifiers. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's not like a logarithmic scale or anything. It's not like, oh, second place is so much worse than first, like in terms of where they're ranked here. So yeah, there I think it's three ties in the top 32 or something. <laughs> Were there? Uh... It was... Yeah, PKR and Mr. Mario tied on points, tiebreaker on best, like the best excluded finish. Uh, Saria's object and say say, and then uh, Kevin and Felix. There were three ties in the top 32 that were tiebreakers on the best finish. Yeah, getting a, a tie in points in season four just seems so outlandishly, oh, just unlikely to me. But at the same time, the community is getting a lot better. Um, they've just mm. consistently gotten better over time. Just They've not stopped either. <laughs> like your <laughs> average player is a lot better than your average player in season three from just a year ago. For sure. Like, just any random Jimbo 69. Like, 
That's something so, I love to see too, like the community as a whole getting better and everyone pushing each other to their limits to actually practice as much as they can so they can keep up with the flow. Like I think that's a really really good thing to see in a competitive aspect. I can't remember if we spoke about it on the pre on the first podcast episode we did. The um we did the season three one then. But I've been saying since season three I was like this time next year, Felix is going to be making a top 32 run. But, like, Here there we were are. people who were not in the community who have made a top 32 run since then. Like, oh, yeah. it's just such a mix of names, and I love seeing that. It shows just how kind of, not just how supportive and, like, strength, like, how strong the community is becoming in that front, but also the fact that pretty much anybody can step in and kind of get to that top level as long as they're willing to put in the time to learn it yeah for sure i mean not only have they gotten better there's so many more racers on average too like you had so many more pickup races during testing season and even during the summer like through the summer months when literally nothing was happening uh, except everything was shut down but <laughs> uh you know you still had like 50 60 people weeklies and that wasn't like stranger and that was just kind of expected like yeah it's a pretty average number like and if you look at the the weeklies uh pre-season three they're a lot smaller they're like 30 40 or something like that so like just average 10 players more on at like 10 15 per per weekly races that don't really matter at all unless you just want to practice or you know just play them regardless so yeah, uh, the number of entrants for a lot of the qualifiers this time too—it's uh, kind of out of control now. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> what was the highest number of entrants? Do you know offhand? Uh, I'd assume it would be qualifier one, around like 150 something. Yeah, yeah. a lot in that one. Though. It's, it was somewhere around there, and even like halfway more than halfway into the season here we had qualifiers there were 120 130 people still bigger than the biggest qualifiers in season three like that, that's crazy that's yeah season crazy. three season three had a qualif the first qualifier was like 120 something and then it had one that like crept over 100 i think this season there were maybe five six that went over 100 like yeah just incredible to see that growth like absolutely incredible for sure so moving on to the next eight that qualified for top 32, starting with number nine, Fanta Tanked. Number 10, Holy Sparks. 11, The Salty Sponge. 12, FMZ Gun 129. We got Zupol, Namaha, Mr. Martin, and Tom House in 16th. Wow. And this just goes back to that, <laughs> that mix of players again, right? So Fanta comes from... A bingo background i want to say yeah um you've got sparks who i was sparks playing a year ago i think they're relatively yeah. new yeah they started um, playing last year i think and or maybe late 2019 but they definitely joined the scrubs community first mm -hmm. and then they moved on to rsl when we had our season one bracket they were in that too and since then they've just improved so wildly that i don't know they're unrecognizable as a player from just a year ago i think like they've mm -hmm. gotten really good yeah it's, 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 
it's great to see because you've got yeah Fanta who's come in from other areas of OOT. You've got Sparks who's like relatively new to the community uh, compared to you know a lot of the players in this bracket. Sponge who kind of made a big name for himself in and around season three. FMZ around like saw this our keyboard keyboard player in top thirty two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean they would have made top thirty two in True. season three. Yeah. So they just opted out of that one. Yeah. So I mean, they—they're yeah. here. <laughs> they're on I a feel keyboard. Like <laughs> Zupal is kind of like the eternal bubble player. Zupal is that player who always nearly makes it into the bracket and always just misses out, but is far far better at one v ones than Qual. So Zupal getting a good seeding here is really big. Like you know, Namahar is—I well, was going to say Sponge and Riley's teacher, dad. Like, Tom Pals is... Tom Poos? Sorry if I'm butchering your pronunciation. Um, Tom is somebody who, Tom again, Pus. has been around for a long time, but has kind of really... Uh, long time, quote-unquote. But has really kind of taken off this year in particular, I think. Yeah, especially with all the random setting stuff he's a part of. I think mm-hmm. kind of boosted him up in the standard setting as well. I think they made their own tracker. Is that right? Mm. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, just well. seeing that happen. Yeah, I think he's the only person that uses it, I think. So it's a bit like the solely tracker in that way. But <laughs> I don't know too much about it other than it's uh, it's very cool looking. It's pretty trippy. Customizable settings. There's like a little drop down menu where you can tick on each of the different settings for RSL. It looks really cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and Mr. Martin, definitely a very consistent player. Took a, a very large break over the summer. I think basically when season three ended, um, they were mm. just like, okay, I'm not going to play right now. And then they came back like in August or something. So like from April to August, they just didn't play or it didn't stream at no. least. And um, now they're back and they're in top 32 again, which is... Which is great to see, um, kind of coming out of the hyperbolic time chamber. Uh, it must have been. I don't know. I don't know where else. So we yeah. mentioned, we mentioned earlier that, like, as we're recording, um, Mr. Martin versus Saria's object is the match that's happening. And you know, I was talking to a couple people earlier, and they were described as the two most aggressive players in the top thirty-two. And I think that's really interesting as well. With Martin, is like. He is a very, very aggressive player. He will make calls that no other player in the community will make. And so it's interesting to see that pay out in this format. And it's interesting to see how that will adapt into a bracket as well. Because I think last in season three, Martin had a pretty rough tournament overall. So be interesting to see yeah. how far it carries this time around. Well, I mean, their their path ended to an eventual uh, Marco matchup, so we all we all know how that went. But um, <laughs> yeah, hopefully it goes better this time. I mean, starting against Saria's object, I think is a very good spot to be in. I think for if you're anybody kind of in the top 32 here, they are an aggressive player. Um, they they'll make a lot of wild calls that. If it, if it works out, they win, I think, a large portion of the time. But uh, I think that the, ends it, up being one of the closest matchups in the first round, just because of how similar their play styles are. Possibly. Um, 
again, season four, pretty unpredictable. So I right. don't want to make <laughs> that call yet because I don't want to be wrong. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of very close matchups here. Fair. Yes, for sure. Um, we'll get into more of that, but um, yeah, just again this next like slice of, of players is also insane here so uh 17th starting off previous co-host here riley awesome to see uh we got sorry his object uh like we said he's going to be playing against mr martin right now <laughs> uh in the past though uh for all you listeners say say ryu kane uh and then in 20 Sif- 21st, 21st is one shots mm-hmm. um casey necro and then g skate after that um really just <laughs> just a great variety of players again uh, it's great to see casey necro in the top 32 i didn't know if he was going to make it um it was really that last qualifier that pushed him in he had a very very solid performance and uh the, i think it's qualifier number 16 specifically gave out a lot of points to everyone uh so like if you finished in i don't know top 30 or 40 you got 900 points or something crazy like that so wow and then there were like 80 or 90 i think at least in that race so a lot of people got pushed out of challenge cup because of that um mm. you had a lot of really i don't want to say low tier players because it's kind of disrespectful but a lot of up-and-coming players um definitely performed well on that and the fact that almost half the player base got so many points uh really just helped out top 32 potential players as well assuming they get anywhere above uh top half you know so i I think that helped them a lot Mm -hmm. saying about necro i think necro in 22nd and sanzo in 24th have very similar histories with the game very similar like backgrounds in the game they're both players who've been around for a long time and they're both players who have like made brackets in season two and missed out in three or narrowly made it in and just but like at the bottom seeds like made it in because of opt-outs and stuff and they are both really really good players they are both very execution heavy and I think G-Skate in between the two of them there as well is another one who fits that kind of, kind of the same group. The flip side to that, you have people like Riley and Saria's object, where I think Riley's biggest strength is his decision-making, but he plays very safe. And then Saria's object, you know, as I was saying before, I think is a very aggressive player, but it's also still that decision-making. It's like they're just in different different play styles, but the same strength. Yeah, uh, I've been more impressed by Riley's consistency, if nothing else. I mean, he's gotten the same seed almost in season three and season four. Like, I don't know how you do that. He was <laughs> laughing was... at one point because he came seventh in, I want to say, about Two five or, or six quals. Is it really? <laughs> it was a oh lot. He, he played a lot of them. Like, he played something like 11 or 12 quals, but he came seventh in like half of those. Wow. Now that's his lucky number. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you want to talk about consistency, look no further than Riley here. I mean, damn. That's that's impressive for sure. And, yeah, Seisei and Ryu are... I think they're both French players. Is that right? Yeah. 
Yeah, we're seeing a very large fringe representation in this top 32. I think it's more than even season three, I want to say, where you had almost half the players French or something like that. There are Which, a lot here, definitely, yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of <laughs> French v. French first round uh, <laughs> as well. So good news for everyone else in uh, the top 32 here. They're going to get weeded out a little bit from winner's bracket at least, but... Um, very strong showing from the French community, as always, as expected. You know, it's the sun rises, the sun sets. There's <laughs> half French players in top 32, whatever. I like one thing I do want to say as well is like going back to that thing of like different backgrounds. You know, I mentioned Fanta earlier with the bingo background. Seisei has been playing OTR for quite a long time at this point, but Seisei's background is mostly in other Zelda games, you know, one of the like the top Link's Awakening runners. I think it's like LADX and like original oh, Link's really? Awakening. Yeah, huh. Seisei's like one of the top like three in that game. Um, you know, One Shot One Shot started really coming out of the woodwork this year mostly in the co-op tournament. That was where people started taking notice of One Shot with Tiris was in the co-op tournament and it's just, you know, like They've just carried on that climb, kept going. There's a lot of people from a lot of different parts of the community and like the Zelda community as a whole, not just OOT and definitely not just OOTR, which I think is really good to see. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think One Shot's one of those players that's improved a lot, just like Holy Sparks in a way. I think he really lacks confidence. I know him a little bit. I've interacted with him and... Man, one shot. Just believe in yourself, man. You're in top 32. <laughs> like you got this, bro. That probably applies to like I would say about Everyone. 20 to 25 players yeah. in top 32 at least. <laughs> yeah, at least. I mean, it's it's a scary world out there, and at least it's double LM, right? Like it, you're not gonna just lose and be out. So <laughs> thank God for double O the me. Yes, yes. I mean, I think it's partially required for tournaments, but I mean. There are specific cases in which I think it's fine not to have it, but it's got to be for like the smaller tournaments, you know. Especially in a randomizer of all things, because I right. think if it's if it's in a tournament where you have a set route, like just a regular speed run, I think it would be fine to have a single elimination because that's just purely based on execution. But uh, for randomizer, <laughs> you know how these go sometimes. So yeah. having double elimination is definitely a thing that I would like to see with every single randomizer tournament. If, Even if, if not it's double a huge elim, multi best of three. <laughs> one of the two. Double yeah, elim or yeah. best of three. Either one works, but just more than one game. <laughs> yeah, if you had faster settings, best of three could work out really well. Um, probably like more along the lines of like a Triforce hunt kind of a thing is kind yeah, of what I'm thinking. thinking or if you have like open everything and you only need three stones or something for Gans Bosky. I could see that working. But if we had some sort of blitz tournament in between seasons, that'd be kinda cool. That'd be <laughs> sick. And just like you'd have to obviously change the hints out around a lot too to facilitate that, but it could be something worth considering for sure. Maybe a spoiler log tournament? <laughs> <laughs> You're addicted to those. <laughs> I really am. They're great. They're so much fun to be fair. They are fun. They are fun. So the last slice of the pie here, the last eight, we got QWERTY Quaff, 
Felix. I don't know how to say the rest, so I just everyone calls him Felix. It's fine. <laughs> Gavaroni, Wooden Barrel, Dare Devon X, Phoenix Feather, Vonzilla, and Reed Rim. There are some really interesting names in here on both ends of the scale to me. I think if you'd asked me who did I think at the start of the season was like a surefire pick, 100% top 32, probably in the top half, Gav would have been one of the first names I mentioned. I think it's crazy to see him in the just bottom eight because wasn't he like middle of the pack last season i think his i think his he dropped from last season at least i think so not by much i think but i think he's dropped yeah 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 and i did definitely didn't expect that at all well especially like coming from the co-op tournament that wasn't that long ago um kind of like we were saying with one shot and tiris uh Gabaroni and Dylan Meevil, just absolute specters at the format. Um, you don't want to cross their paths. And well, I was in their group, so I should know, but um, just <laughs> really, really strong. And yeah, like we got some pretty wild names up in here. We got Quirty Quaff. Um, it's definitely, I, I don't know when he started playing, but he started playing super hard during this summer of this year. And uh, definitely one of the most improved players, I think, in the community at large. I I know that, um, if nothing else, the Scrubs tournaments, they had, like, different divisions. And uh, QWERTYCRAFT Kevin, whatever name, <laughs> um, was, like, the runner-up in the top division. Oh. And that was only... A couple what? months. Yeah. And so to go from, you know, keep in mind, the way the Scrubs community did it, handled it this season was everyone above a certain point wasn't allowed to take part. They were basically too good for the tournament. You're, that's it, you're out. Kevin was at the point of qualifying for the tournaments and not winning them. And in those few months has got to top 32. That is a, that is such a jump. Like that is such a leap. And it's just constant grinding constant practice it's yeah you gotta imagine the amount of hours he must have put into the game to get to this level it's insane props to Co him a couple hundred at least i think i don't think that's an exaggeration i guess the other name in that bottom eight that stands out for that kind of thing is um dead evan um I don't think either of them will mind me sharing this story, so I'm going to share this story and they can yell at me later if it is a problem. But um, during the qual where Daredevil came second, uh, <laughs> Melrose was in Ice Cavern, which had the like go mode item, saw Daredevil finish in second and went, it's something early that I've forgotten about and left Ice Cavern to do chickens. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and was one of my in a way, though, clips. that kind of... It's so it's so funny, <laughs> but like that kind of speaks volumes about how far these players have come. That like, yeah, no, Dedevin was just just in Ice Cavern because it was the best play at that point, and hit Go Mode and won and oh, well came second in that qual, ended up making top thirty two on it, and it's yeah like it, well deserved, well earned. <laughs> They also had a very strong showing and, and another qual after that, too, near the end, which is really mm -hmm. what propelled them forward into the top 32, which is 
I don't think they could even saw that coming. Like, it, it, I don't know. It's almost, it's just crazy. But uh, the other players here in the the bottom half, or bottom quarter, rather, uh, Wooden Barrel uh, is one of those players that I feel like is really hit or miss a lot of the times. Like, he's either going to crush something or, like, not necessarily, like, forfeit or first, but, like, I feel like he does, like, top top eight or, like, bottom half or something like that, right? Like, he's very good, obviously. Just, I think he has that consistency problem, which is kind of probably why he's in the bottom eight here. Yeah, I don't think it's that much of a surprise, given uh, how well he did in the co-op tournament. But, yeah. yeah. I think the other thing for Barrel is he kind of, I feel like, took a bit of a break from OTR for, like, quite a long time. And then really came back during the summer with, like, the ladder system and everything and was just playing every single morning, like, day in, day out, just a race a day for a good few months. And it just kind of kept going from there. It just didn't stop through the co-op, through all of that. It was just so much practice again this year from somebody who already had a lot of that execution experience from a couple of seasons ago. I think similarly as well, um, Phoenix Feather in the 30th seed. It, Phoenix was ninth seed last season. Also kind of took a largish break. Um, really played co-op, but I don't think they even really practiced that much with what the hells for that. They just kind of uh, showed up to the matches and did pretty well. But I, I'm not sure if they've even been playing that much outside of that or how much prep they did for the tournament even. Maybe it was a lot of offline practice, possibly, but uh, I think they took a largest break as well. And um, I think it's a, a pretty healthy thing to do, especially if you know you've been playing too much or it's causing problems, especially in, in that instance. You you want to take a break. It's it's not worth, you know, possibly getting injured or mentally having, like, issues. So um, if nothing else... You're saying all these players, some, you know, what, two, three, four people that have taken largest breaks, if nothing else, if, if you're not feeling it playing rando at any point, just take a break. It's it's going to be good for you, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, took, I took three to four months off and it was the best call I made. Like, I, I burned out from Qualls in season three, forced myself to play out the co-op tournament, and I shouldn't have, honestly. And then, yeah. like... Yeah, season four I found more fun, even though I like the settings less, just because, yeah, taking a break. If you're burning out, it's going to affect your decision-making as well. It's going to affect everything. You know, I was forcing races like two hours in because I did one area that didn't have items, and I'm like, well, that, I wasted all that time. I guess I lose. <laughs> mm. Like, mindset is a big deal. Like, yeah. I guess PF's one of those players coming into this probably in a good mindset of... If I lose, it doesn't matter too much anyway. And I think that's the other thing. The lower seeds going into this have lower expectations on themselves as well, which means they can go in with that kind of, well, if I lose, it almost doesn't matter as much because nobody expected me to win anyway. Whereas I know Sponge has been very vocal about in the past, if everybody thinks you're going to win, you feel like you have to win. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I kind of felt that 
uh, a little bit in the random settings league tournament where I placed what second seed <laughs> and every single match I'm like okay I gotta win this I <laughs> I can't I can't not win this so yeah I think it's kind of healthy to not be in that mindset to just lay back relax like it's not gonna kill you if you lose a match it's double elimination anyways <laughs> but yeah I think not going in with the tryhard mindset is definitely a good thing. It's more helpful than it is hurting you at that point. It, it's 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 really powerful. It's really hard to get that mindset though too, especially if you grind a lot, especially if people think you're good. Um, yeah, it, it's a really easy trap to fall into, like just being hyper competitive with it, like either having bad reactions to things or getting angry or upset so i don't know i think even though they're in the the bottom eight here all these players uh, i think they have a large advantage in, the, in that respect also shout outs to vodzilla here 31st um they were hoping to get pushed out so they didn't have to play the bracket but <laughs> i uh i think when they were like in 22nd i was like dude shut up you're gonna be a top 32 and you're gonna like it <laughs> like, uh, I said something to that effect, and he was like, "Okay, <laughs> like it just like." And here I, he is; I, he's in top thirty-two. Like, I thought I remembered hearing something like this: like VOD wanted to play Challenge Cup and made bracket, and was like, "Damn, I guess I have to play this now instead." Yeah. And Error, Error initially opted into Challenge Cup then got told, oh, actually, enough people have opted out, you're in the bracket, and went, oh, I don't want to play that, and opted out. So right. <laughs> there is that again, yeah. and this all ties into that expectation and also just the number of people watching, I guess. Like, you know that... Without meaning to ruffle any feathers saying this, you know that, generally speaking, the Season 4 matches are going to have a lot more eyes on them than the Challenge Cup matches will, if nothing else, because the Zelda Speedruns channels are a lot bigger so yeah. there's that added pressure of the main like the top 32 bracket that is that is added pressure to those players a lot of the time i mean it's it's the community's main focus i don't think that's crazy to say um so i think with that with you know hundreds of viewers watching at the same time having that in the back of your head if you know that going in if you know that you're, you know, play badly on restream a lot of times in weekly settings like I can totally understand like just opting out and not participating, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, it kind of you have to know yourself really as a player and I think if you make the call, I, I think it's a fine call to make. Yeah, I remember last season I was super nervous in the brackets phase for the same exact reason. Like, you know that there are all these people watching you and you and only one other person not like four people as in a weekly or anything and you're like you really want to do your best and you're nervous and you got to just get into the mindset where it's okay to make a mistake like you're not gonna be perfect you're not marco um <laughs> but yeah yeah i, I, I guess think part a good... of that oh yeah go ahead uh, i guess part of that as well is like for a lot of the players, you know, we're talking about how quickly some of these people have kind of risen up through the ranks. It feels like your first restream is like a massive weight. That feels like a lot of pressure. And then eventually you get used to being restreamed and then you get into like 
a solid tournament position and it's like that's more pressure on top and you kind of build up a lot of these players their first restream was during quals <laughs> or like not long before at least like a lot of these players have kind of condensed that their first big tournament is also their first restream is also their first like finish in a major tournament like people are kind of getting all of this thrown on them at once there are going to be some players who put a lot of pressure on themselves and who personally i i know it's a lot easier said than done i don't think should be putting that pressure on themselves yeah i mean it it's obviously always way easier said than done but um yeah just remember to have fun with it i mean i, I think that's what i've really kind of taken away from rsl a little bit is that if you're not having fun competitively you're probably not going to do very well in general so just trying to find that like kind of spark again and like why you play randomizer in the first place like i think it's really important to know for yourself like what that is and if you're like kind of in that stressed out position like kind of like hopeless almost like it you just have to find whatever that is for you so that's our top 32. Pretty wild from start to finish, I think, uh, safely say. Kind of looking at some of the matchups here, though. Um, <laughs> first general thoughts about these matchups in round one. Round one has some... I guess partially the thing we were saying about people coming from different backgrounds and everything there are some really wild matchups there are some that are like there's a clear favorite and there are some where i have no idea who's gonna win because i don't know much about the players or because they're both really strong players um you know not to put too much pressure on anyone but i think personally like Mario versus Phoenix Feather is going to be one of the most incredible round one matches there is. Like, two incredibly strong players, and I'm really excited to watch that match. <laughs> I, yeah, I was... <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> this is not much to say about that one. Yeah, like, as as people were opting out, I was, like, getting different matchups, right? And I'm like, okay, yeah, uh, facing Barrel, that'll be fine. Okay, another person dropped out. I'm facing Daredevin. I think I think I'll do well. And now I'm facing Phoenix Feather, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> this is interesting. <laughs> this is a mistake, right? Like, there's no way he's that low. Seated. Uh, <laughs> shit. Uh, yeah, like, uh, definitely scary to see. And even for like, I don't know. Like, Bodzilla's gone very good. Um, had a lot of really strong finishes and quals. I think he had a couple like top five top eights uh that really landed him a bunch of points so like even against like uh pink kitty rose here round one i, I think i could go either way like, it's kind of crazy to say for like the the two seed versus the 31 but i think it's true i think it's true for a lot of rent matches and that kind of bubble of four um pkr versus vod and then the winner plays the winner of martin versus sari is like all four of those have quite I don't want to say erratic because that sounds negative, but they they never do the same route twice. They're the kind of players who will make a lot of changes to their route depending on tiny decisions or like which one they feel like doing more at the time or just tiny things can point them in one direction or another. And so whoever comes out of those four, 
you could tell me any one of those four comes out and I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. That sounds reasonable to me. I mean, I think of those four players, like they can take a very small advantage and just bust it wide open. And their on-the-fly routing is really good. Like they're really fast in their decision-making, um, you know, on the spot, which I think for a randomizer, that's one of the top things you should be able to do if you're if you're a good player. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really cool to see where those four end up uh, and who faces who in round two coming out of that. But yeah, even just like, uh, let's see here, like Tom versus Riley, 16 versus 17. Obviously, it's always going to be very close for a 16-17 matchup, but uh, I generally have no idea who's going to win that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, Riley has consistency, like we've said. Um, Tom is a lot more inconsistent in general, but definitely good enough that it could go either way. i got to be honest, from watching... RSL, Majora's Mask, the other tournaments and everything. I'm ex- I'm excited to see Tom's, Tom's matches and I'm excited to see what the hell's matches because Tom's stream titles are always incredible. If people haven't <laughs> seen them, they are amazing. And what the hell's file names are always great. So I'm excited to see like what happens if those two end up against each other at some point here because just the file names and the like stream titles and everything are going to be beautiful to see. <laughs> right. Yeah, like I think for some of them that I've seen, it's like like Tom versus legendary player X, and then like some other like meme attached to it. It's like okay, the one I that I remembered it. was an RSL match versus Drunus, and it was um, can the average man Tom pounce? Because <laughs> it kept getting typed as Tom Pounce. So it was, can the average man Tom Pounce take out the legendary god Drew? <laughs> or something like that. It was like, incredible. Oh my god. Yeah. I can't wait to see what his stream time goals are going to be now for this, this season four. Oh. Then. Do you think he workshops those? Like <laughs> a couple hours of just like, no, that's like. Young weakling, t- no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, Keizo versus uh, Qwerty, that's going to be a match for sure. I mean, I think they're both pretty, I don't want to say wild players, but um, yeah, just Keizo unpredictable. Is definitely, yeah, Keizo is definitely, I think, or at least before season four, was definitely had a bit of a reputation as one of the more unpredictable is a good way to put it um players you know i remember a season three match that i think was keizo versus just sam and sam was ahead on execution and was like a dungeon ahead and keizo went to like deep fire before gtg and won and there are like calls like that that wouldn't have paid off as much before but now are a lot more viable than they used to be (laughs) So it'll be interesting to see how the routing plays out there. And I mean, Kevin, like we say, has kind of shot up over this half a year or so. So at this point, it's a question of, well, how much scouting are people doing? Are people going back and watching old races and old VODs? Is Keizo going to metagame around Kevin at all? Is Kevin going to metagame around Keizo at all? Yeah, I I think that... QWERTY slash Kevin, I think 
they're really taking this super seriously. So I think they're going to do everything in their power that they can to try and gain an edge. I mean, not obviously within reason, you know, doing every not (laughs) (laughs) doing everything uh, they're allowed to competitively gaining all the the edges that they're supposed to um, is a better way to put it. But yeah, just, I I think they're really going to take advantage of this opportunity. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised one way or the other, like if it goes to Keizo or, or, or Kevin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I know in the past couple of days or even past week, they've been doing 1v1s like every day, so they're definitely yeah. getting in the mindset. Yeah, it's just a question of like, are they going to burn out like halfway through the bracket? Are they really going to like go towards the end, like really pushing it? Like, it'll, it'll be really cool to see for sure. Hmm. Another cool one is Fanatank and Sanzo. Uh, <laughs> just, I have no idea what's going to happen. Sanzo's <laughs> like, like, Fanat- another one who just kind of came in from as far as i again as far as i know bingo um and it was it's quite funny because i think i was talking to sponge at one point and he was like phantom might as well be phoenix feather in this bracket they're basically the same player at this point they've both come in from that bingo background they've both like shot up in no time just like come in got the grind going climbed the ranks up and sure enough fanta as i mentioned you know pf was ninth seed last season fanta ninth seed this season up against one of the most consistent players in the community i think but someone who's really kind of struggled to make a breakthrough in the last couple of tournaments so yeah fanta versus sanzo i could honestly see going either way but I think people are going to have a lot of eyes on those two matches in particular, the Keizo Kevin and Fanta Sanzo, because a lot of people who are watching this are not going to have seen Kevin and Fanta racing that much unless they've gone out their way to look at the 1v1s and the grinds that they've been doing. If ever. If they've ever seen them. I mean, I think they both got one restream in the qualifiers, and that's it. And outside of that, I think that's the only restreams that they've ever had for randomizer <laughs> just wow. crazy uh but yeah i mean fan is a beast from what we've seen i mean it almost all of his races have been really good finishes and even the ones that weren't quite as good it was still top 16 or something like he's he's here to play i think i want to draw attention to this like bottom bubble again i you i i know it's kind of the cliche at this point in the rando community that wherever marco is people are going to follow but Marco versus Casey Necro is a potential round two match. Sponge versus Gav is a potential round two match. Sponge versus Marco is a potential round two. Like, I can't see a combination of this that doesn't come out incredibly in, in every round. Right? Like, you have Bono Felix, Holy Gate. There's going to be a 1v1 among one of those four in the round two. Like, what if it's Holy versus Bono round two? Like, I can... That's what I think is going to happen, but, like, what if it's Holy Felix? That's just a total toss-up, and they both know each other. Right, so, like, like <laughs> G-Skate Bono, you've got the, like... Yeah. They, they both know each other quite well, the French community route again there. Same thing for, like, if it's Marco versus Necro. Like, you know the French community are going to want Marco versus Necro. And that means that, like... Imagine, like, one of them wins and the other one loses... 
whoever beats that person, like if Gav beats Marco and then Necro beats Sponge, Gav is going to be the villain. If Marco <laughs> beats Gav, but then Sponge beats Necro, Sponge is going to be the villain for the French community. Like there are going to be a lot of eyes on those matchups because people are going to want the Marco Necro match. And if, if someone gets get in it. the way of that, that I, yeah. I personally don't, but I think it's exciting to see what happens with it. <laughs> for sure. I think those those matches will have a lot of eyes on them just because of the scale of the names. But also, again, you could tell me any one of those four gets out of this section and I'd be like, yeah, that's pretty reasonable. I think if you'd done this in season three, I'd have had a different response. But in season four, I think there's that different metagame, that different mindset that any one of these four could feasibly get out of this. Yeah, it's crazy too. Like season three, it, it wasn't really a question that the top two players were Bono Marco. I think it is a, a pretty good question of like what the top two players are now. Like I, I think it's different. I don't think it's Marco Bono anymore, but I, I don't know. I don't have, like have a lot of like reference points, like as to point like the two people. I know who the number one player is. I can tell you right now, it's what the hell's happened. No question. <laughs> <laughs> He is one, I think, the one seed, but I think he's the top player right now. I agree. Yeah. I think the other aspect there is, like, nobody, full stop, nobody in the entire community has had a, a high-stakes match on these settings. Some people yeah. have been practicing 1v1s and people have done the quals, but nobody has had a high-stakes 1v1 match. And they're different enough, too. Like, it's not a difference of season two and three like where those were pretty much the same like you could do really well in season two be a top player there and be a top player in season three not necessarily the case here in season three to four um so i think that has a lot to do with it as well mm -hmm. so beyond the matchups though here um let's get to prediction time here who uh who do you all think is gonna win uh i did pick what the hell's in my predictions? Oh man, I need to go to my prediction. I don't remember who I picked. <laughs> I, I will say, I have what I the hell's doing the, the run back from well. losers. I have what the hell's doing the run back from losers. Wow. Um, getting put down there by Mario and then doing the 2 0 back in Grands. Man, you're crazy if you think I'm beating what the hell's. <laughs> I've yeah. once in the tournament. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't know. Like, I I think for what the hell's, I think he's gonna mirror kind of like his RSL experience has gone this season. I think he's just gonna stay in winners, probably till I don't know the finals, but definitely like semis or the round before. I don't think they're gonna drop before that. Yeah, I, I just like personally, I predicted uh, what the hell's to stay in winners all the way through and then win. So. Yeah, I mean, just looking at his potential opponents here, the pool that he's in right now that gets him to round three, it's himself, Reed Rim, Tom, Riley, Kazo, Kevin, Fanatic, and Sanzo. I think out of all those players, he just beats him. Like, pending something terrible that happens or some obscure hint that was only in <sighs> Grandma's house. I don't know. Like... <laughs> So, there are ways those races could go against him, but you definitely have sure. to pick what the house is a favorite in any of those, yeah. 
yeah, if I was putting money down, I'd put them on what the hell is just based on off of out of those like racers in that pool. And beyond that, like the other pool here is Dylan, Daredevin, Zupal, Ryu, Cariosa, Wooden Barrel, FMZ, One Shot. He's got a really good chance of beating any one of those as well. So, I mean, that brings him to semis if you can beat any one of those for four rounds. Seems pretty reasonable to me. So, like, if we take a look at, like, Marco's storyline here and, and, like, how he could win, or even, like, Bono, which is in, like, a pretty similar space in the, in the bracket here, Marco has, on his side of the bracket, to get to semis, so same as what the hells, for comparison purposes, he's got himself, Gavaroni, the Salty Sponge, KC Necro, Namaha, Seisei, Phoenix Feather, Mr. Mario. Uh, that's only to get to round three. And then to get to semis, he has to potentially beat G-Skate, Holy, Felix, Bono, Sarius Optic, Mr. Martin, PKR, and Bodzilla. <laughs> yeah. <Yikes>. What? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Way more me? stacked. Yeah, like... I don't know. To me, the the top half definitely seems way easier than the bottom half, no question. Um, so I think I, the, the top half has more kind of sleepers, more people who could upset things, but the bottom yeah. half has more kind of just out and out, like established strong players. Like in the top half, it's like oh you could have a fight, and in the bottom half, it's like you're you're going to a hundred percent. Yeah, it's like I always use the analogy on, on my stream, at least, of if you're walking downtown at night, uh, it's no one around, you walk down an alleyway, I don't know why you would do this, but you walk down an alleyway, and you hear behind you, hey, what a duel? <laughs> and it's not Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> and it's not Yu-Gi-Oh! And you turn around, and who do you see but insert player here so uh yeah i think uh, i think most of those i don't want to i don't want that to be that person <laughs> whereas in the top half uh okay like i'll fight you i guess but i might lose anyway like <laughs> that's the, like I'm, I'm gonna be blunt here i'm unfavored against all of these players that's why they're in top 32 like mm -hmm. <laughs> you know i'm not what, the caliber of setting, any though? of these players but there are a number of players in here where I'm like, I would have a shot against them. You give me basically any of the bottom eight players in this bracket, I'm like, I'm already screwed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, probably same, probably same. Uh, yeah, just uh, uh, exceptionally stronger in the bottom half. So I, I, I think for anyone in the bottom half, I just see a harder time for them going forward. But it really depends on rounds one and two, like uh, <laughs> depending on what happens there. Uh, it gets significantly easier or harder for you. So, like, you could have Marco, you could have um, Mario, you'd have Mario, Marco, Holy Bono, or like PKR, Mr. Martin, Bono, Marco, like, or something like that as your, your four in round three. So, like, pretty much any combination in the bottom half it's just so much scarier so i i just see everyone down there just having a harder time i think a big part of it is like some of the players we've highlighted as being more aggressive or more inconsistent or however people want to determine that 
if those players can get the wins in their early matches, whether they're favoured or unfavoured is irrelevant at this point, if those players can get the wins in their early matches, that gives their future opponents that opening that they might not have otherwise of, okay, I need their gambles to not pay out. I need their aggression, like their aggressive plays to not work in their favour. Whereas if you just see a bracket of all of the consistency going forwards, you need to get your execution or you need to make those gambles. Yeah. Depending on who you are, I mean, you're definitely rooting for upsets or not. Because um, even if, let's say you're like uh, the 16th seed. So I don't know who that is here, but uh, Tom. Uh, Tom. So, if, so if you're Tom. Tom <laughs> and let's say Reed Rim beats what the hell's happened. Um, I don't, it's a possibility. I don't know if it's going to happen, but let's say it happens and he beats Riley and you're up against Reed Rim now. And on the other side, on round two, you have uh, Kevin win and you have Sanzo win. You're just so in such a better spot now that it's just crazy. You don't even have to have all of that happen. You don't even have to have like half of that happen. And your position in the bracket just gets immensely better because the losers of the upsets go to the losers bracket and now they have to win to survive. So depending on what happens on the other side of the bracket too, like it's too tough to really predict all of it, of course, Mm -hmm. but I um, guess to take a possible extreme one here and again, no offense to anyone involved in this. Sorry, Felix. Um, (laughs) If you have Bono versus Felix, Bono has the execution edge. If Felix yeah. makes a call in that seed and wins, whoever's on the other side of that matchup, like Holy Sparks or G-Skate, is looking at that like, cool, I've got a way better chance, because if you're going into a match against Bono, you know you have to take the risk. Whereas if you think you've got the execution edge, you can play a little more consistently and a little more safe, and it's your opponent's... You're, you're basically forcing that decision onto your opponent. Aside from all the top 32 madness and all the season four stuff that we have going on, uh, we have people that didn't quite make the cut for top 32. Yes, this is the top 33 to 96, is it, for Challenge Cup? So, (laughs) like we said (laughs) earlier in the podcast episode today, the community has gotten a lot better, and there's a lot more better players, too as well so uh a lot of these players some of them have been in the top 32 before previously um and uh yeah (laughs) let's let's just get into it here so how challenge cup works is that so the groups are going to be announced this coming sunday i don't know if the episode will be out by then or afterwards probably after but it's hard to say for sure but anyway um so we have 16 groups that have one person from each of four different pools drawn at random. So you have a group made up of one pool one, one pool two, one pool three, one pool four. And among those pools, it's random as to who it is in which group. So it can get pretty fun in terms of how the <laughs> groups make up uh, based on that. So, each group has 16 people in it. So the first group here goes for the th- first 16 slots. We got Earl Weird, Hamsda, Roska Tyrant, Just Sam, Arthur Udini, Sea Falcon, Spike Vegeta, Westover, Melrose, Exodus, Philip Tito, Fabio, Mike Katz, Check Race, Hell Knight, 
and 10th Doctor in your Pool 1. In Pool 2, we got Sora, B, Luigi, Cola, Keepsake, Guy Raxo, the Aeronaut, Amala, Master Alex, Alexo, Pappy Grant, Sauce Boss, Gogeta, Alfalfa, J-Bone, Zephyr, and Doc Heaps. In Pool 3, we got Choco, Anvil, L Cola, Splits Happen, Ninja Bus, Flufloosh, Happen Fours, Ryuja, Zopar, Menno, Feeny, Ice Nine TM, Yo Yo Canary, Zoro, Wooly, and Words for Swords. And last but not least, Pool 4, we got Slyrai, SDG Sean, Tenacious Toad, Weasel, Laplopor, Tiris, Fleet, Aston, 1988, Levi, Belvedere, Challenge Liam Six, Grim Fairy, Irwin, Dig Dig, Dr. Kurth. And some scrubbing. Myself, I'm the last seed in Challenge Um, Yeah, I, I think the overall consensus right now is that this group of players is just a lot stronger than last year. Of course, it was... Um, picked in a different way last year it was still the same format more or less but it was open to people that didn't make top 32 in season three that wanted to participate so i think it was pretty much open signups as far as i can recall and people that weren't in it like pkr and a couple other players that wanted to be in it but didn't actually play any qualifiers could um so it's a little bit uh more cutthroat more more better players i think this time because of how it was structured you have 33 to 96 just based off of where they were in qualifiers so um i guess based on that like what do, what do you uh y'all think about this one there are <laughs> definitely some big potential like group of death candidates in here um if you look at pool two i think the standout name immediately is cola <laughs> hundred <laughs> percent he just had a really rough time with his first eight qualifiers and then started crushing them after that <laughs> like, yeah um even like there are other players in there like sora and b luigi both up there as well um there are some players in there who i'm, I'm not even going to name specific names beyond those top three because honestly a lot of those players are very strong and a lot of them did well in challenge cup last year um Pool 3 is the other one as well. Like, I know that Choco and Flufloosh were two players that I'd seen doing quite well in the build-up to Season 4. And obviously there was a lot I missed while I kind of took a break, but Anvil was a player I heard a lot about going in. And so if you end up in a group with, like, Flufloosh, Cola, I, you could pick almost anyone in Pool 1, honestly. Um, but for argument's sake, Roska Tyrant, a former season, like, top 32 player... You end up in a group with Roska, formerly top 32, Cola, formerly top 32, Flufloosh, was being picked by a lot of people to make top 32, and then, like, Laplopa? Whoever gets knocked out of that group, no shame. Like, yeah. There is some real killer group potential in there, like... Yeah, there's a lot of overlap, too, with Last Challenge Cup, um... There's a lot of names that were in that that are also in this, so 
it's cool to see that for sure. Um, there is some consistency, even if you're out of top 32, uh, you can still make top 96 or so and um, still have a pretty good showing of it, I think. And I think that's the case for a lot of these players. Yeah, I'd probably guess that like pool one as well, like maybe half of those have been in a tournament bracket before this. Maybe a bit yeah, under like the, half, but a lot of them. The top half, too. We're, we're previously in top 32, uh, I think, before the last two qualifiers. <laughs> so, right, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of beef, potentially, that they might have trying to prove themselves in Challenge Cup here. Um, so they're any one of those, from Earl Weird, Earl Weird to Melrose, I would be very concerned if they were in my group. Because I'm, I'm sure they want to bring it back. And I think at a quick glance, it is literally half of that pool. Eight of them have been in a bracket before. Um, yeah. Earl was Roscoe, Sam, Sea Falcon, Spike, Westerfer, um, Mike Katz, and Tenth Doctor have all played in a top 32 before. I'm just happy that Zephyr is in a different group as, as I am and Zopar is. So I have the dream of me, Zopar, Zephyr, and... Uh, what, I don't care who. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> like, sure. Sure. And if I can win that group, I will have so many brownie points available <laughs> to just, just. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. I will say there are some real sleepers in this. Like, I know you had a pretty rough time with season four, especially early on. And like, Tiris is another player who I think you know we mentioned one shot earlier. Tiris and OneShot were co-op partners. They both kind of climbed up during co-op. Leplopo, like, there are a lot of people in Pool 4 who could very easily win their group. Yeah, like, out of these names for probably Pools 3 and 4 I want to look at, Pools 1 and 2, I think there aren't that many surprises, and I'm sure a lot of them will do pretty well. But out of, like, 3 and 4... The names that kind of jump out to me, at least, as being scary is like Happen Force, Flu Floosh, uh, Ryuja is very good too. Even like Ice Nine TM. I mean, I think he won the Baby Dodongos tournament. Is that right? I don't know, but Ice Nine, I definitely heard a lot of people talking up going into season four. So yeah, so even like Tiris, Tiris and Slyry have really impressed me with their 1v1 potential. Um, I've seen just casual 1v1s with them, uh, with me and other people, and they've uh, they've really brought it. And I think a lot of people weren't sure if they were even going to make Challenge Cup this, this season too, so I think that's definitely worth mentioning. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was going to make it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, definitely big sweat today uh, at work. I was just like, man, there's there's one more spot available i'm the next one in line so (laughs) it's cool to have that extra goal as well because there's a lot of people who went into this going i know i'm never making bracket but they were like i'll play a few quals just to see how i do and then they started doing kind of well and they were like all right well i'm still not good enough to make top 32 but i'm sad like 60th 70th now sure some people will climb up above me but i might make this and it gives people that extra goal to aim for like and yeah. yeah, I know some people who were incredibly happy to see that they'd made it. Yeah, no joke. I think I was in like 69th place as in my last qual that I played. And wow. uh, 
Yeah, then I got bumped out, and then I then I was barely back in. So like, it's definitely been a roller coaster for me. Um, I'm just happy to be here, <laughs> for the, more or less. So I, I think the added pressure that we were t- kind of touching upon earlier for the top 32 players, people that are in the tournament in general, um, it's kind of been lifted from me for Challenge Cup. I don't think, I don't know if anyone expects me to do well in this one. So uh, yeah, the pressure's feel, all on pool one now. <laughs> Yeah, like, sure, yeah. sure. I mean, it can't go any worse than last year's Challenge Cup for me. It's like I went, I crushed my round one opponent. My round two opponent, I had a massive flub. I just didn't go to Child Lake. And I think Letter was vanilla. And Mirror Shield was locked by Letter or something crazy. So I just was missing two items when my opponent finished, and I was on, like, the boat in shadow. I was like, how did they finish? How did they... How were they ahead? It must have been something I missed. And then the, the third one, I brought it back, but, like, it didn't need to be that close, for sure. So I, I definitely kind of want to... just want to crush it this time. <laughs> Real talk. I just want to... I just want to win the tournament. I just want to win the tournament. <laughs> Is that so wrong? I have faith. Just set the bar low, you know. Don't, don't aim too high. Just set the bar low. Achievable, comfortable goals. Just win the tournament. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, seems about right to me. <laughs> my, my goal is always don't go 0-2. So that's, yeah, I, no one wants to do that. <laughs> no one wants to do that. It's kind of the same thing with like Magic the Gathering for me is that, yeah, in a big tournament don't want to go to in like a draft or something you have eight people there's gonna be someone that goes oh three hope it's not you because <laughs> like, yeah. it's gonna be someone so my goal is always to break even over a tournament if i think i'm like middle of the pack which most tournaments you're going to end up pretty middle Probably of the pack are. goal is always yeah. break even if you do any better than that it's like wow i'm slightly above average look at me go yeah. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's a good mindset to have i think and it's going to be cool seeing where this one goes, too. We'll learn more about it once uh, the groups get pulled on Sunday. That's this coming Sunday, the 24th of January, 2021, baby. Let's go. Yeah. Just a couple other things that I want to touch on before we end this episode of the podcast. Um, Yoshi, I know that you've been developing a league system, and... Maybe just talk a little bit about how that's been going. Um, Yeah, there's a lot kind of in the works. I don't know how much I can say right now, but there's a lot kind of in the works of that with toying around with some stuff. Um, The system itself is going incredibly well. We've been doing it with a kind of small group, test things out, see how it all functions. Uh, Riley won the first season we did, uh, was the winner of the highest division. And... We kind of, you know, tweaked things as we've gone, figured things out, and we've got it to the point now where we think it could be implemented for 100 plus plus players. You know, we're talking 100 to 200 players could feasibly fit in this system pretty reasonably. Um, so hopefully, depending on how everything goes, it would. the idea, I think, would be that we'd never want to clash with the big tournaments. It would be something to happen during the downtime between seasons but uh yeah the 
the concept behind it is that anyone can join new players, experienced players, whatever. We're trying to come up with like settings that kind of fit that goal as well. So the biggest thing is removing all the tricks from Logic because it's better for the new players who don't have to learn a bunch of tricks or most of the tricks from Logic, I should say. The new players don't have to learn a bunch of tricks and the more experienced players have to be a little more careful with their hints because they might get baited by stuff. Um, but yeah, the system itself is going incredibly. We've got really good feedback on it and yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll have more to to say on that soon. Yeah, cool. it's definitely exciting. Something that I hope to participate in in the future when it gets mainstream. It's really what we've been kind of missing in the community, I think, is just like something not a huge ass tournament that takes half a year to do. <laughs> we've had too many of those. I mean, they're they're great and all, but like if I just want to sit down and like commit to like let's say a month or something, four weeks of continuous play and whatever happens happens and maybe there's a prize maybe there's not and then that's that and maybe mm -hmm. there's another one the next month or something like that and i, I think that kind of consistency of racing is kind of what's it's the missing link i think right now and you can kind of see that with freaky friday like week to week like people do show up and are interested in things and it, it's not even that it's like asyncs for standard asyncs for rsl ddr there's a crowd for everyone and i think this kind of format could work in a lot of different instances so it'll be really cool to see uh, where it ends up going i think that's kind of what our aims for this is like it's something to do in kind of the downtime between seasons. The league itself isn't meant to be the like biggest thing. Nobody's going to be like, oh no, I'm not going to play the season five settings. I'm not going to help test that because I want to <laughs> win the league. Because this isn't, this isn't as big a thing. It's not meant to be. But it's something for people to pick up and play in the meantime. And the biggest comparison point we've had was Ladder. And the biggest complaint with Ladder was a new player could come in, have a completely neutral rating, and play against pretty much anyone. Whereas the idea of this is every, it's tailored to the skill level, so you'll play against people who are at your skill level, you can see how much you're improving over time, you can see who else is improving to that level, and get matchups that feel fair, get matchups that actually feel like you've got a chance to win, but it's not like a guaranteed win. Yeah, and those are always the best matchups, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, people that you've been playing against consistently or that are like known quantities that you're not in a weekly of like 50 people and you're like, I'm going to race against this one other person or something like that. And it's like kind of unofficial and it would be greater if you had like groups of like-minded players or players that are a lot closer in skill level than they otherwise would be. And maybe wouldn't even race otherwise against each other. Who knows? Like it could kind of open up new doors in the community, I think, and really make everyone a little bit more interconnected. So I, mm -hmm. I think it's a really positive thing. And um, for Mario. Yes. I guess just like in general, we'll just take like take a like a brief little trip here to RSL land, random settings. <laughs> Um, we got the top six players right now, left standing. There's three players that were also there in the top six of season one in the bracket phase. 
Those players are... What the hell's happened? Rob Dog and you, Mr. Mario. Yeah. And we got the other three. We got Marco. <laughs> Just <laughs> he's here, of baby. <laughs> he's here. Because of course, oh, no. why not? Yeah, still in winners bracket. Uh, it's got an extremely great shot at winning the whole thing. Not really surprised uh. to anyone, but uh, yeah, he just kind of started playing this season. I don't know. Like it's. Just good at, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Just good at yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's great to see people who don't usually play RSL playing RSL, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's grown. It's grown a lot. I mean, the last bracket phase was half the number of players, more or less. Yeah, last so... bracket was 21 players, and now we're 31 players. So we're definitely growing as a community. Yeah, and even in like uh, just the normal season plays, you've seen a lot bigger races on average, like more of like eight, nine player races, um, and most nights of the the season versus like the usual four suspects of like Mario, Me, Zopar, and Rob Dog or whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's definitely been great. A lot of that's like due to scheduling things and eight thirty game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it's like kind of just. We want to make sure that people are comfortable scheduling their races whenever they can. A really big part of this has been the RSL bot. It's been developed by Fennel, I think, and yep. partially by Zopar. But um, yeah, it's been super great. Like you join race time, you open a race room for RSL. The bot's there just like uh, standard, and you just click roll seed, and it rolls your seed for you. You don't have to download a dev branch of anything like... I mean, we'll see how it see, like plays out in the main season because this has only been like developed for the bracket phase of this season. But um, definitely something that's interested me in keeping it going in terms of like keeping it accessible to new players and getting people involved that want to play and um, you know get exposed to RSL. So definitely been a huge part of this season. But the uh, the other two players that in top six this season that weren't last. Is uh none other than Kirox and myself. Look at me go. Hey. <laughs> Look at me go, dude. <laughs> yeah. GG. And our match will be on Sunday, so that's gonna be a tense one. And the other two matches we got going on. Uh the other losers round six match between yourself, Mario, and Rob Tog. Yikes. Yeah. I think um, we're uh we may schedule that for this coming Wednesday, um, okay. the 27th. So Nice. And then Marco and what the hell is just going to battle it out in semis for winners. And we'll see where we go from here. It's been a pretty interesting bracket. Um, it's been a lot of fun, though. Oh, yeah. Can't wait for season three after this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It goes any, on and on. <laughs> any random setting race is a is a blast for me, so definitely looking forward to it. All right, so on January eighth, we celebrated the one year anniversary of the release of episode one of this podcast. And we'd like to take a few moments to thank everyone who's listened and supported us along the way, because we we really wouldn't be here without you. I I don't I don't really know what to say for myself, but 
I wasn't sure if this podcast was going to make it a whole year. Um, so I'm, I'm just happy to be involved still. I'm happy that people enjoy listening to it. And I, I'm happy that, um, that the, the, the randomizer community is still holding together and seems to be pretty healthy from, from all, uh, all things considered here. So I just want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for supporting us. And if you have any suggestions whatsoever, um, definitely hit up, up any of us that are involved and uh, we can see if we can make it happen. I mean, uh, we're here for the communities and I, I don't think that's ever going to change. Uh, so. Yeah, I guess for me, it's like, it's interesting. I remember those first few weeks planning out, you know, the first couple of episodes of Direction of Podcast. We had a document that came out at about 15 16 pages just talking about what direction we wanted to go with the podcast and i think we did all of that within about a week or two it was just relentless work going into it but i'm really really happy with what's come out of it and you know we touched on it during this episode but it's been such an incredible year for the otr community so much has changed so many new faces have come into the group and our first episode looked at season three and so many of the people now in season four weren't even in the community at that point it's been incredible fun to be involved with all of this and i yeah thanks to everyone for helping out with it everyone who's got involved everyone who's listened i'm looking forward to seeing what the next year brings with it Hey everyone, Ronan here to say happy first birthday to the Gossip Stone podcast. Thank you to all who have listened to the podcast, and thanks to Emo, Chimp, and Winnie Demon for having me on the team and allowing me to combine my passions for audio, music, and gaming. Looking forward to many more episodes in year two and beyond. Uh, so Shadowfix, former editor, passed on a message as well. Uh, I think I'll just say that despite the fact that I've moved on in my gaming exploits, <laughs> Fantasy Star Online 2 is powerful. I'll always think fondly of my time in the ZSR and OTR community at large on comms, tracking and restream, as well as getting the chance to hone some of my editing skills with Yoshi, Riley and Soda in starting up this podcast. This really is a lovely community of people and I wish the Gossip Stone every success in the next year. And for Winnie Demon, uh, our script writer for the podcast now, really has done a lot of work already um, and the, the few episodes that they've been involved in, but um, really just hats off to Winnie here. Um, they've, they've really helped us uh, save a lot of time and energy that when we were doing scripting by ourselves with Yoshi, Riley, and I, is really just not even comparable um, to what she's been able to do. So, um, and I know how hard it is because we we had to do it in the first place uh, by ourselves. So, um, and this is what they said. To celebrate the podcast's first birthday, I just wanted to thank everybody who has been involved in the project. The founders, the hosts, the editors, the guests, the OOTR and ZSR staff who have helped spread the word. And most importantly, you, the listeners. A podcast is nothing without people to listen to it. So thank you for taking the time to listen to ours. I'm excited to bring Gossip Stone podcast into its second year and look forward to many more birthdays to come. And with that, happy birthday, Gossip Stone podcast.
I've been Emo Soda. Thank you for listening. Joining me today again, Yoshi Kion. Thanks for having me on. And Mr. Mario. Hey, thanks again for having me. It was a blast. Yeah, as always. And uh, that will do it for this week on the podcast. Good luck to everyone who made it to Brackets and Challenge Cup. Thanks again to Ronan Recordings, our editor, and Winnie Demon, our scriptwriter. And we'll see you all next time for another year with the Gossip Stone Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>